2: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional.
1: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I knew I had to record a podcast. Art was the key. Only by referencing our thoughts and inserting a mid-roll advert at 20-minute mark could we escape the dark.
2: <laughs> Adam and welcome to the Alan Wake 2 spoiler cast. I'm Scott Tilford. How are you doing? I'm really, really good, Scott. And I am super, <laughs> super excited to be out of that dark place. Now, I don't know what took over me there. See, we should say that because this is a full-on um, Alan Wake spoiler cast, we're going to be doing full spoilers for even the end of the game, Ooh. theories, etc. We'll talk a little bit about Alan Wake 3 and where things are left at the end of that game because <laughs> yeah. um, he even knows if he's still in the dark place at the very end. I, can, I wanted to open on general thoughts and then we've got some specific stuff to get to but give me your give me your thoughts after finishing the game
1: like after i finished the game there was a little bit of like wtf is going on Mm. um but i love the ambiguity of it all because that's what we've kind of been treated to all the way through this so Mm. you know it does give a lot of like narrative thread points where you think okay this is going to build up this is going to get explained we're going to get a definitive answer here Mm. but i kind of love that we don't and Mm. i know that it's obviously leading because we've had the two confirmations of dlc coming out we also have that tv show as well yes so I'm really intrigued and especially we have is at the lake house which is and part of the map that you obviously can't get to mm-hmm. in the main game which is obviously going to be the DLC section mm-hmm. so I'm really intrigued to see how they built that because the the way the game ends and the way it ends where like you know Saga's on the phone trying to ring her daughter to find out has Alan actually saved her daughter mm-hmm. and then obviously Alan gets shot in the head like, <laughs> and then suddenly springs back up and you know is Scratch really gone? There's all of these questions that are still there but mm-hmm. I, I really love it. For me it's built up to something which makes sense for the characters it's like the answers that they wanted to get along with us as well mm-hmm. but it's not definitive. It's leaving us at a nice cliffhanger, not an irritating one, mm. but a nice way where we would go, okay, I've enjoyed a lot of this. I've gotten a lot out of this. Yes, there's still some questions at the end, but it's not like, oh my god, it's room because I don't know the answer to this. It's just nice when the DLC comes along and we'll be yeah. able to figure those things out.
2: That's one of the, the, the biggest thing for me. And I I had kind of I self-analyzed a lot as I was playing through this, yeah. where I was like they they used, like, intentional ambiguity a lot, and Control had this a lot as well, and I think it's interesting in regards to, like, Remedy is a dev, where, like, you know, they got put on the map by Max Payne, it's a very straightforward game, like, they had a lot of, like, there were supernatural elements in Max Payne, but it mm-hmm. was very much, you know, like, this person's on drugs, this person's yes. taking the Valkyrie stuff, all the Flesh <laughs> of Fallen Angels stuff, or whatever it was, mm. <clears throat> there was no, you know, attempt to be like, that's real, and then as, um you know, Alan Wake sort of played out, and obviously a very interpretational ending, it's not a lake, it's an ocean, that was a yes. whole thing, and then they sort of, like, took a while to Quantum Break, that was all about time being frozen at the end of time and what's going to happen then. And then Control, like I loved the way Control played, but oh, I was yeah. so lost off towards the end of it, where like they just sort of bring in terminologies and you have characters who are just monologuing and talking in first person. I knew I had to do this, and then I, like, well, <laughs> how, how did you know this? Like what what are you talking about? Like all this weird god called Polaris is possessing mm. you and whatever else. And I was just I got started to get a bit lost off by the end of Control, and I know that in the DLC they like gave you some answers, and obviously they bring Alan Wake back in in the second. Mm. Control DLC, but I feel like it's that latter remedy tone that they've doubled the F down on in Alan Wake 2, and even in like on the Reddit threads, on social media and stuff there's a general sort of conversation around Alan Wake 2 that it is very intentionally confusing and so for me, I was like I was like self-analyzing as we as I played through it, being like, okay, it's like it's very Lynchian. It's not giving you the specific grounding for stuff. But then when they bring the FBC in and they go, oh. like, you know, like no, there are actual rules to this, and it's like it's a geographical area that's being you know taken hold of by the dark place. Yeah. And in theory, Saga's daughter is still alive outside of that space because she's on the phone to her at the very beginning of the game. Um, I'm trying to hold all of this in my head as I'm playing through. And so like <laughs> the more they keep going, like, no, like you know we'll talk about overlaps in the dark place and Mr. Scratch and it's not a loop. It's not a loop. It's a spiral. And I'm like, oh my God, like I can't <laughs> hold all of this. And I know that's intentional, but yes. I I definitely struggle with that as an overall positive because you're, Sam Lake and, and the team are like going for a certain level of ambiguity, but then giving you some facts and being like, no, the FBC understands this. There's a containment thing that we're using for scratch. Mm-hmm. Like I go back and forward on like, when it finished in a roll credits, I was like, okay, Like, Mm. I guess satisfaction will probably come down the line, I guess. I think one of the big things for this is
1: multi-layered. So like, Mm. there's so much layering to this where it's just one, it's not one direct narrative where you're like, okay, from start to finish, I know this, this is the one path. This is the one thing we're Mm. done. Like there's so many layers to this. And I think one of the big things as well is that you're always questioning all the way through this, what is real and what is not real. Mm. And that's that's a massive thing in Remedy games in general. I mean, you know, you and I talked about control before when we had like, you know, Jesse who I'm still devastated, didn't show up in I this thought game. she was gonna come towards really the end, going, yeah. Towards the end, if she showed up, I would have literally like levitated myself. <laughs> like I would have gotten her powers and just levitated. Like Yeah, like Jesse. Yeah, Pink. literally, but like even that, like she doesn't even react in that game. She's just no. like, okay, just rolling with the punches. And I think that's kind of the best way sometimes to go with some of this where mm-hmm. you're like, okay, let's now, now this is happening. Now this is happening, let's roll with the punches. And I think Remedy are really good. Uh, they obviously have a wider story, a big like, you know, universe that's all mapped out and they have this. And they're kind of like slowly as the game goes on, it, it suddenly becomes like unloaded onto us, especially at the back end of Alan Wake when it's like suddenly all of this is going mm-hmm. on. We've got the Norse mythology stuff going on as well. Mm-hmm. And then there's like all of this going on in the background, but you can get as much or as little out of that as you really want. Yeah, you know, like you can go in and just play it as a straightforward survival horror, ignore all of that and still have a great time. And that's one of the things that I love about this game mm-hmm. is that it it's so accessible for people many different stretches of what you want to get out of this game and for me i just love the weirdness i love the david lynchian you and i are lost fans like yes. obviously the first like alan wake even like sam lake said we reference lost with like the black smoke going through the forest like mm-hmm. we reference that in the game as well mm-hmm. i love that element of mystery and of course he's writing a novel. Like, this is <laughs> this is what you get in story writing. It's so multi-layered. There's things going on all over. Mm-hmm. Now we've got this TV show coming as well, which will be really interesting how they han- handle narrative without gameplay to really further explore this kind of world.
2: Yeah, plus one of the DLC packs is called Night Springs as well. Yes. And they were like, you know, play as various characters from within the Alan Wake universe, or however the hell that thing's going to come together. And then, oh, then the other God. DLC pack is the Lake House, which yes. like you said is um, we know from the game it's like one of the FPC control centers. So I think they'll do a lot of like grounding and making sense of what Happens like in in that DLC, yeah. Um, but yeah, let's talk about story stuff and like story meaning because I feel like for me it almost gets a bit too convoluted where like it, it doesn't necessarily have like emotional stakes. Like, no. um, by the time you get to the end, it's all lore, it's all world building, it's all characters just telling you what's happening next. Um, and things like when um, Saga finally uses the clicker and she summons Alan, but she summons him back in time. Yeah, and then she just states that it's like, oh, I, I knew that I summoned him three days ago on the beach, and I'm like, oh uh, yeah, okay. Like for me, who's like trying to like timeline all of this in my mind and keep hold of everything mm. so that it all makes sense. Revelations like that or, or things that feel kind of thrown in um, did feel thrown in. And then things like uh, the cults, like you've got the cult of the tree and the yep. cult of the word... They're kind of they, everything comes from Alan ultimately. I guess it's it's ultimately that if you do it through a control lens, the typewriter is an object of power, and everything he's ever written is yeah. coming true or whatever. But within a certain geographical space, so well, that seems to be the case based on what Estevez says about everything is within like an area. Mm. I imagine it in my mind's eye as like a bubble. It's like a big old bubble around bright, bright Falls, and everything's like in there. And once you're in that bubble, you're possessed by things, or you think different things. Your memories change, and everything else. Mm. Um, but yeah, story meaning wise, I thought that for the vast majority, it really worked as the the torment of the writer the torment of the creator not knowing if your work is actually good or not and then like all the insecurities that Alan has manifesting as like the, the version of the dark place that he's in um, and then like the version of like he has a showmanship side to him because he used to be a big sort of big star Hollywood writer which is that phenomenal sequence the dance sequence Oh my where like God. they find the best way to recap oh. <laughs> week one and um, in it that's my favorite thing of the year like by yeah. far like that is
1: incredible
2: Scott and I are doing the dances. we're doing this right now <laughs> <laughs> just shaking. the (laughs) But it's like, um, stuff like that. I was like, that bit, when that sequence happened, and I mean, that's quite near the beginning, but it's still a a few hours in. um, I was like, this is God tier. This is the best thing I've played all year. One of the best things I've ever seen a creative put together. And I love the justification that it's Alan's psyche. It's the part of him that remembers doing talk shows or whatever it is. Um, we can talk about Mr. Door in a bit as well, yeah. um, but we'll get back to that. But, like, yeah, what do you think about, like, the wider story and the thematics and stuff? Because for me, the, the biggest positives are in those thematics and are in environmental storytelling and, like, general interpretations of the environment and everything. Hmm. Um versus character moments, which, like, other than Saga putting her mind back together at the end, I don't really oh. feel like we get many actual character moments.
1: Yeah, so there's a few things that I'll say here, and there's kind of, like, three approaches that I'll really highlight in mm. this. But what I will say first, going into the kind of, you know, that human emotional side of things, mm. I never felt gripped to any of that. So, like, Saga, I know, like, they're kind of trying to pull our heartstrings a little bit, with like, you know, is her daughter still alive or not? What's happened? Like, Rose tells her at the beginning, oh, no, your, daughter, your daughter died. Mm. Like, I'm surprised you're back here. And, like, because we don't, video games do this quite often, right? Like, like Fallout for me, like Fallout 4 is a big one where it's like, oh, like you've got to care about this child. You've got to care about this. And it's like when it's kind of forced upon you like that, for me, it draws more distance because I feel like I haven't met this character. I don't Mm -hmm. know them. So therefore I don't know their relationship. She could be a terrible mother for all I know, you know? So like, (laughs) I don't know what they're like. So Mm -hmm. therefore, like when I'm told that I should feel a certain way about somebody, like I'm like, oh, Mm, like, don't, we don't I mean, even meet Logan. It's yeah, just one ex- phone ex- exactly call. Exactly that. Start, so, yeah. so, yeah, and like, obviously, Remedy Games, for me anyway, like, they've never really put that at the forefront of their games. It's been more about like the experience going through things, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Control had literally no emotional kind of depth to no. it at all, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, yeah, like, other games as well. I didn't play Quantum Break, I will admit. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so in terms of that, like, it didn't really pull at me in that way. But I think the bigger focus here, there's three things narratively that's going on. We've got kind of the real world, which for me is where kind of the FBC and, like, obviously Saga uh, and Casey, like, outside working for the FBI, that for me is kind of like the real world. That's where we kind of ground ourselves, right? This is what's really happening. Yes. This is established. This is them arriving to Bright Falls. You know, we're kind of living this through their characters. We're going into this craziness with them, although we probably as
2: gamers react more than the way Saga did, when she's like, oh, I'm going through a tree through the over Okay, let's go. That, no reaction at all. That bit when she's like, oh, I needed to put, I needed to get the heart and put the heart in a hole in a sign to trigger the overlap. Yeah. And then later you find out that art is the key, but it makes more sense later because it's yes. poems and songs. I was like, how was putting a heart through a hole in some wood? <laughs> what was that? Like- and she was just like, yep, okay, let's go
1: along with that. I know <laughs> that she's an FBI agent and seen a lot, but I mean, she's not an FPC agent no. where there's a lot more crazy stuff going on. So there is, that's kind of the real world part of it. And I think that was really well captured. I love the dynamic between Saga and Casey. I think yeah. their relationship is really, really really well done. Mm -hmm. So we've got that. But then we've also got the other two worlds, which is the world in which Alan is obviously a writer and he's rewriting things all the time. A lot of the core of his gameplay is literally taking the light and changing scenes. Mm -hmm. Now, because of that, it means that the narrative structure is really open because things can change. He can introduce things, but then take it away and go down a different path. Mm -hmm. So it means that that kind of side of the game is forever changing. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, We then have Alan in the nightmare world. So this is dream logic, right? So when he's like, you know, in the talk show talking to Mr. Dole, this is a nightmare. Mm-hmm. So it's nightmare logic. A lot of it doesn't make sense where like, he's obviously written this small little part of New York as well, where he's walking around. We see obviously the shadows saying like, wake, yes, wake. And like, wake. obviously we'll get into that as well, which I like, <laughs> adore. But so we've got three things narratively going on here and you can attach yourself to one of them. You can really dive into each of them as much as you want. Mm-hmm. But as long as you kind of go in under the guise and knowing of, right, okay, this is a nightmare world. This is designed to not really make sense. It's just designed more to really kind of pull it Alan and just, you know, really push it at his levels of craziness, I Mm -hmm. guess, in that point. Narrative structure of Alan, obviously, this kind of leans back into the first game as well, where he is writing the events of what's happening. But in a sense, like Saga says to him, look, she basically says to him, make sure that you write that my daughter is going to be okay. So Alan has that power to change the narrative. Mm -hmm. But the real world, as I say, is where we ground ourselves in. Like, And I love that the game, after we get the initial start, starts (laughs) with like Saga and Casey arriving. That's kind of us arriving as well Mm -hmm. into this madness
2: yeah there are I love like the the way that they the meta textual side of it the the commentaries that they're making on the idea of a story rolling out and then like you said making that playable I like the Alan side of things like you're finding inspiration you're kind of you're not necessarily remembering like scenes that you're then plugging in but you're thinking about the idea of oh what if the cult was in this room what if the grandmaster was in this room Mm -hmm. and it is that's the stuff that really messes with you in terms of trying to track everything because it's Mm -hmm. like he's coming up with that in like ostensibly real time um but that's him with the typewriter and it's you're jumping back and forth. like his dream space is him sat in that room yeah. Um, like you know like putting things together and you cut back to like you said the version of him that's exploring in the dark place um, and like trying to get out or whatever I definitely or part of me like if I pie charted my mind there was a sliver of it that was hung up on how was your body underwater for 13 years <laughs> like I know you're in like a different dimension yeah. but you don't eat you don't like live like when people go to the dark place they just seem to hang out there for 13 years <laughs> like they don't wilt or anything um, like same to the end when uh Tor and Odin go down into the water and they're just they're just fine. We didn't see them again, but like they're just fine going back in. Mm-hmm. And I kind of thought that was a comment on how like the aging artist or the aging creator becomes more aware of the stuff they've made and they can compartmentalize it in a way and they're not living for their output in a mm-hmm. way that younger artists are where they mm-hmm. get consumed by it. Like um Tor and Odin in the game um massively um you Icons. Know, yeah, yeah, but like like in terms of the songs, like the Poets of the Fall stuff, oh, like one of my favorite bands, I love that they're getting more um, exposure. But they as like creatives, as these aging rockers have had their time in the, the in the spotlight yeah. and they're happy for that to sort of be in the past. Like they still have the spirit of it. They still want to rock out and everything. But I kind of wondered about that little comment on like the aging creator, like assumedly at some point, Alan would be like that, would accept, like that's the whole, to me, that's the whole meaning of the, it's not a loop, it's a spiral thing. Mm. Um, that it's, you're not living for the work, you're living for yourself. And once you realize that, you can essentially, back out of it again yeah. um, and like the, the Alan's biggest issue is that he's never realised the disconnect that he doesn't need to live for um, Hollywood or turning books around or whatever it is he needs to live for himself and I think you realise that if you live a life of constant output like if you're turning things over in terms of um, for exposure then you're not living for yourself like I mm. think that's a specific split um, that it, it very like it very at the very end it started to go into and I like um, my wife was thinking that maybe Alan Wake three would be the the more positive game
1: mm. because we
2: haven't talked about Alice yet but like mm-hmm. um there's the whole role of Alice sort of rounding him out and and teaching him the same way that saga does um you know like sort of realizing that once you prioritize yourself you can break out of the dark place like saga yeah. does it immediately mm-hmm. um because like either through fbi training or whatever or being a seer she's able to separate those things out yeah. um so i think those wider thematics are cool we should quickly talk about um saga's powers and um, mm-hmm. what do you think of like all the the hunches and the seer stuff and the, like her i guess agency across the whole thing i love how it evolves so like when it first starts obviously we kind of you
1: know she's an fbi agent She so think okay like she's obviously got training to like assess like you know like Going into her investigation she's got like hunches in terms of okay my, this might link to this but obviously some of them as you and I have said before Scott mm. were very much like that seems like you got that from nothing like <laughs> you picked up a page and you worked all of this out but I love that you know we when we go into this like obviously time plays a really interesting part of like this whole game right where you said like when she activates the clicker like Alan is activated like in a different time like mm. when he comes obviously out of there now Time has always been a thing, right? Like, Alan can manipulate time in a way by Mm -hmm. rewriting scenes, by changing things, changing the order of things, everything like that. So Mm -hmm. it's not a stretch for me to believe that someone like Saga, who has this ability to be a seer, which obviously they lean into with, obviously, Tor and Odin as well, with Mm -hmm. the Norse mythology, and obviously Saga, the name itself, is Norse. But I love, I love that they brought this in because it was kind of leaning into that explanation of, oh, this is why she feels more connected to this. This is mm-hmm. why she has more of an understanding. And I guess in many ways, isn't freaking the hell out because she's <laughs> like, she is starting to see things. Now, we could obviously raise a lot of questions about the limits of her powers. Like, well, if she can see things here, then why can't she see the actual fate of her daughter? Why is she questioning that? Right. So there's a lot of questions like, what is the extent of her power? What can she see? What can't she see? And how does does she allow herself to see things? do they Is she just hit by premonitions? Like- we don't really know and that's part mm-hmm. of the mystery of that. But just as a thing to come in, and kind of explain, like this is why she's able to see things and connect things together in her mind and obviously her mind place as well, which the gameplay for that is interesting. Mm-hmm. But it for me, it wasn't out of place. It didn't feel like something that was like, you know, just thrown in just to explain something. Mm-hmm. It fits within the wider context of the way that they explore time within these games. Mm-hmm. And I really love that they did that again, but just explored it in a different way with this character. Yeah,
2: mine I yeah, I'm not as positive on it as you. I, I mm-hmm. was definitely like 'cause when you very when you begin the game, she has the FBI jacket on, you're exploring stuff with Casey. I was re- like that was channeling true detective yeah. in a visually quite in a, yeah, way, in a specific yeah. way. So I was looking forward to getting stuck into the case. And so like yeah, when you start profiling and, and then her like and then they are hunches. Yeah. Um but obviously she's right kind of thing. And then over time you find they just say that oh she's a seer. Um she knows things. She knows she can speak to the truth of someone. Um, and that's what the profiling is. And I just in the moment, especially towards the beginning, I was just like, well I'm not solving anything. I'm just sort of clicking on a on a face and then she says something like, oh um, you know, I, I knew that I needed to put the heart through the woods to get, it. and I was like, "Well, there's no way you would have deduced that yeah. from the body being there." But I, but then even at the beginning, I started thinking, "Well, I bet she's a creation of Alan," mm. and that's one of the things that happens as the story goes on. Um, one thing to throw in there as well is that I love the hypothesis from the FBC um, about the idea of whenever a fiction horror writer um, writes something twisted and messed up and whatever, are they coming up with it themselves, or are they tapping into this weird unknown force that yeah. then goes through them and writes the um, the story, which is obviously like works for Alan, Alan himself. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of FBC testing sites that you can find in the open world, um, and a lot of like nursery rhymes that you can put together. Which I always assumed that would be Saga. I always assumed that would be her as a child or something, and mm-hmm. her returning. Or maybe it's Logan or whatever. I didn't do that many of those nursery rhymes. I um. It blows my you mind. You did all of them. I did. Yeah, them all because it, it's just so bizarre.
1: Like again, it's these weird things that like you get the lunch boxes as well, and then obviously you get the nursery rhymes, and it's again like they're so. If you don't do them, obviously you didn't. It doesn't take away from the story. The story no. doesn't hinge on these things being done, but it's just this little extra thing where you can acquire new things. Mm-hmm. And as I said to you before, I found Saga to be the easier person to play as right. compared to Alan. Like Alan, I found a lot more difficult. And the only times I died in the game was when I played as Alan.
2: His gun sucks. <laughs> <laughs>
1: the revolver's
0: terrible. I mean,
1: yeah, like six shots and then that's it. Uh-huh. Um, but as well, like, you know, it's interesting because, you know, she's a trained agent, so she's used to using firearms, yeah. right? So kind of like her gameplay, f- uh, sorry, her gunplay for, he plays a lot better anyway mm-hmm. whereas alan is a writer and just happens to come i know he's obviously played the first game but that's not training that's him fumbling around yeah. trying to survive basically mm-hmm. although the flare gun is amazing yes. with Alan, but yeah but <laughs> the um the act- these little nursery rhyme things that you find like obviously yeah like i love the way it's just introduced and obviously you know it's kind of tying back to she's got a young daughter and we see like in her mind place we see like a daughter's bed made up and there's little mm. dolls on the bed and then she's finding these little dolls but it's just a nice little way to get extra things. Sometimes they play out good, and sometimes they play out bad. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you'll get like an extra little charm, and you think, oh, "Okay, that's great." And I, by the end, I think with Saga, I had three of the charms where if you die, they immediately break yes. and like keep you alive. Is a coffee
2: one you can get? Yeah, yes,
1: yes. I think I had like a a, a deer one, uh, a one that gives you like an extra um, little segment of your torch. Ah. And then um, I think that was like with the the deluxe edition, which is right because I, 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 I like a stagger one, so yes. it's staggers enemies more frequently. Yes, yes, yes. but um, yeah, so sometimes you'd obviously get them. Sometimes you just get like a, you know, box with extra ammo, but then sometimes it would just lead to a, you'd have like a fight with Taken or Wolves, and mm. those bloody Wolves F god, the wolves! oh my they god, oh. every <laughs> time, every time I heard a wolf, I was like, well, uh, this is me, <laughs> I am out,
2: guess I'll die, yep,
1: here we go again, but uh, especially when there was two, <laughs> my god, but yeah. yeah, but again, it was just another interesting, it was almost like for me, it reminded me of like when Alan like absorbs the light somewhere and it slightly changes things, whenever you would do that, like the kind of screen would start like... Create static like on a TV, and then like something would mm. slightly change. So, mm-hmm. like in the coffee world, in the amusement park, which by the way, I one love of that. the best sections of the game. How has
2: that not been done before? Like the idea of a coffee theme park. I like, know, right? Yeah.
1: Where you just you're up all the time. Like <laughs> very Silent Hill in that section, mm. which is what I love. But again, there was a, a beautiful moment towards that where like. You did something and then like all that change was just like suddenly a statue appeared of one of the characters, Mm. but like standing really weirdly and that you went behind it and picked something up. Mm -hmm. And I love that where you don't know what to expect with these little nursery rhymes. Again, another little thing added in this game didn't have to be there, but I love like kind of it ties into saga thinking about her daughter the whole time. Mm -hmm and then gives you these extra little parts.
2: Yeah. The thing with the I just, I'll quickly, because most of the, the best of us talk about is the, the narrative of the story of the characters, the wider framing and what it means going forward and the, how far Remedy have come as a creative. Oh my God. Um, I do, for me, I do have a couple negatives in that regard. Like the nursery rhyme thing, the way they introduce it, where it's like you get like a like a text sort of rhyme thing in the middle, like a clue, and then there's five spots around it to place dolls in. Yeah, You don't actually need to do all five spots mm-hmm. um, and a lot of them are quite like obtuse anyway, but that's what threw me off at the very beginning. I was like, oh, I'm not supposed to do this yet and um, the game will give me something later on mm. and obviously you find the dolls anyway and so like that was the thing where I was collecting the dolls but none of it seemed to ever line up with the nursery rhymes that I was finding and then when you get the bulkers you can explore that area yeah. again and um, I remember just going back just going like well I still don't have enough for all five for each thing I, <laughs> I don't have like water for the, where the wave is I don't have a house doll or whatever it is I don't have a thing for each one and then um, then you saying like no just try any anyway and then realizing like oh I do have enough to do them. It's, need two. Yeah. yeah two or whatever So some of them are only really one for one of them mm-hmm. Um I think that could have been better explained on the like oh, yeah. for the, the gamer side the user side. Mm. Um some of the combat as well. Like I I this hated most of the combat. And um, we should talk about that. Um, it was just to me, it's it's too like obtuse for its own good, like especially because of the amount of uh, damage the enemies do, and um, the camera I think is way too tight on your shoulder when you're getting hit. The dodge is not reliable at all. Um, it, de- it depends on the window when you hit it, but sometimes depending on the swing that they're doing, they'll just catch you anyway. And um, like the hit, you don't have an invulnerability hitbox when they when you hit dodge. Mm. You need to actually dodge out the specific way of the swing, yeah. which is can be a good tactile thing. But when you're fighting in pitch black and the edge of the frame is red and the enemies are really blurry and they're zipping around you anyway there were parts where i thought it just fell the F apart like completely apart and i was like this is absolute s to, to keep it very safe on the <laughs> on the podcast side but i was like i hated some of that stuff and um, when the combat works it's brilliant and it mm-hmm. looks gorgeous um i think as well that it's uh, it's impacted by the fact that they have patched the frame rate a couple times um, but it's one of those games that looks so gorgeous you want to keep it in quality mode but then some of the harder boss fights um, or most of the boss fights or the group encounters do struggle with the frame rate mm-hmm. and then for me it just you said you only died a couple times i must have died like 20 times Okay. Like I just died loads just struggling to get a beat on what the hell was shooting me or not knowing that a projectile was about to hit me from behind uh, or whatever. Yeah. Like there was little things like that where I was like, I don't even, it's not even legible what I'm supposed to do. It's too mm. dark. It's whatever. So there were there were bits of that where I I'd like hated most of the combat.
1: See, like for me, this is two things. So it's like the combat itself and then this combat encounters. So mm. like the boss battles for me, like the very first one, I absolutely detested. Yeah, the and, Nightingale fight. Oh my God, awful. And the reason yep. why was because like everything was blurry. Mm. Like obviously all of, you just saw like all of the the branches of the trees like the grass and everything blowing everywhere you had no clear indication of where he was yep. where you were and then you'd randomly stumble upon boxes and you'd be like I don't know where this is but let's quickly grab some stuff because I'm nearly out of ammo mm-hmm. so like that was I think w- that and another boss fight later on um was like the time with saga when I very nearly died but somehow never did with the saga The one when you fight
2: two people at once at Ilmo and his brother yes. are, I yeah I think when like just literally being shot yeah. Just,
1: yeah yeah I mean you can kind of get behind a rock sometimes mm-hmm. but I think the main crooks of because they play very differently like obviously Saga and Alan they play differently and like Mm. obviously with saga when you see a taken you shine the torch on straight away you know who you're shooting once you've burned the darkness off shoot them down Mm -hmm. with alan you've obviously got the second guess sometimes where you're like you're looking at the shadows you hear like wick, yeah and like stuff (laughs) like that and you're like okay like is this the person sometimes you end up wasting your torch because it's not the right person Mm -hmm. the trick there is to look at their hands because if they're carrying a weapon you know that they're going to be the correct one that's cool um that is a little thing as well and i love like Going back to game design, very briefly, mm-hmm. when you're playing as Alan, the posters on the wall actually give you clues as well. When they'll say like, yes. "Have your torch here ready" and like stuff like that, which I absolutely love. Didn't need to be there, but just little details mm-hmm. like that that is what Remedy is known for.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, but with Alan, it does feel a lot more clunky for me. Um, but which I, I guess is
2: intentional to a point. Yeah, yeah. Of, co- of
1: course, to a point. But then as the player, obviously, you've got to be able to get into that and make that accessible for yourself to enjoy it as mm-hmm. well, right? But my god, when it when it when it hits and when it when it really <laughs> really lands, I guess. For me, obviously, they're trying to recapture in the game design as well. And they've even said this, like Resident Evil Two, Resident Evil Four, mm. right? That kind of closer camera. It's more recognisable for people now. It's like more accessible when people see gameplay, tr- like you know, trailers and things like that. They say, okay, I recognise that method of gameplay. I'm interested because I've played games of that calibre before. Mm-hmm. But Alan Wake 1, the camera angle for that me worked a lot better, where it was a lot more pulled back. It was still third person. And because there were so many enemies surrounding you, you could could see them a lot better. You could actually land properly, like a flare shot and such like Mm. that. But it obviously does the Horizon Zero Dawn thing as well, where some of the enemies have like a red glowing part on them. And that you know if you hit that. But my God, (laughs) when you hit that with a shotgun or with a rifle, you just feel the impact. I love how crunchy the shooting feels, like how the guns actually feel. Mm-hmm. But one thing I do like is how quick and how tense it is, is like you run out of ammo of like your handgun, you're like, right, quickly change to another weapon, Just popping off shots there, right? I know this is going to take longer to reload, change to another weapon, mm-hmm. quickly doing that. Oh my God, I need to reload everything now. Pop off a flare, put that on the ground, nothing can attack me, right, and let me choose a weapon, reload it back, right, let's go. Mm-hmm. And when you get into the rhythm of that and you understand that, it can take a few goes obviously depending on are you being attacked by wolves are you being attacked by you know seven mm-hmm. men at once mm-hmm. once you get into the rhythm and routine of it god I love it like I really love it <laughs> that
2: thing with the flare is hilarious because I put a flare down to try the, exactly that and I still got hit and so oh, I what? at the beginning was like oh so they don't actually they don't not attack you if you put the flare down um, and so I was just like I just felt effed for the most part when I was in those <laughs> combat t- uh, scenarios but I think that was mainly because um, it was a ranged attack that still hit me but sometimes ah, right, yeah. you're just you're just in the impact animation I was like I don't even know what's hitting me it's pitch black What's going on? Um, And that stuff got really, really annoying. But, like, yeah, like you said, when it works and you're able to chuck a flare down, you use a flashbang or you fire a flare gun into the middle of a group or whatever, and the bodies all go flying away. That was some of the coolest stuff about the original as well, Mm -hmm. especially with the slow mo in the original. Oh, yeah. And like the slow mo dodges and stuff. Um, It has its moments. And I think, like, yeah, when it works, it's great. But for me, when it falls apart, which I I can't deny that almost every fight I had, I hated. Oh, man. Um, I just, something went wrong. I hit with something I couldn't see. It was just a blurry mess. Mm -hmm. Um, But, like you said, the satisfaction is there when you do connect with something. Yeah. Oh yeah, um, it doesn't get in the way too much, but it was just that thing where I was like, I kind of wish you guys didn't attempt boss fights because um, mm-hmm. the Nightingale one, like you said, kind of sucks, and the Ilmo one I didn't really enjoy. I had a stupid bug um, against um, Weaver as well. Is it Kathleen Weaver? I forget her full name, but the the ghost woman, the old oh woman. yes, it's the granny yeah. and uh, the gra- yeah, the old granny fight <laughs> and uh, fighting her, um, she just glitched out where she was just floating above the water and wouldn't do anything. And so I was just like, I need to reload the save and then come back again. <laughs> I, I actually preferred the build up to her. So you know, like when mm-hmm.
1: you had to go around and like turn on the lights again like and then you see her kind of like come out of the water and then go underneath like that stuff's fewer right. like Resident Evil where it's like you can't see the creature under the water mm-hmm. and like the moments when I only ever saw her do it once you, you know the music kind of builds up when she's getting closer mm-hmm. but one time I saw her like leap out the water and then leap back in right next to where I was and I was right. like whoa <laughs> so like that type of stuff like I love when they build that but obviously when it got into the boss fight that for me god I hated that boss fight it just right. felt like it went on and on and on Yeah. so when eventually when she went down which the rifle is probably my favorite weapon with saga. Like mm. once I really I wouldn't have that if you hadn't told me about it. Yeah, exactly. You nearly <laughs> missed <that, but laughs> really, the. I, I, I nearly realize. missed the pump action shotgun, right. which you told me about that, which <laughs> is wild to think to go into that last big we have to probably talk about that last big fight as well. Mm-hmm. Like obviously the big like when the music show happens, oh dude, down yeah, by the water. Yeah, yeah. That for me because obviously <laughs> that happens in the first game, right? And like yes. I love that it's a direct callback to the first game. Mm-hmm. And it was tough, right? It was hard, but it's like multi-layered again where you've then got scratch appears later on. You have to try and like turn the lights and trap them inside. And obviously you do like a oh turning that turning thing. thing. Oh my God. Oh, honestly, like <laughs> turn around. Like it just goes on forever. <laughs> but um, but you know what? I, I loved all of that. Like I love like you've got Casey obviously above and then mm. the other agent as well, like throwing ammo down and like you've got the guys just rocking out, playing the music, like the atmosphere and the build there. Yeah. Naturally feels like a natural end to the game after that. And then when you get the rest, where it kind of staggers to the end for me. Yes. That's where I was like, oh, okay why is this game not over yet yeah
2: that's exactly because I played through the whole thing with uh, with my wife and we thought the exact same thing yeah. I was like big final fight you've uh, like uh, Saga's figured everything out like in theory like mm. using the clicker to bring Alan back and whatever you, you've you, like roped in the gods of Asgard they're doing their thing you've got the containment thing yeah. and then when the um, the thing with Scratch happens and it like the roof blows off and then yeah they elongate it by like another sort of hour or so yeah. um, with like Saga being in the dark place and then Saga figuring herself out and putting her mind back together again. I did love that I like that as a as a, in, like, as a specific little like um sequence or whatever. Yeah. Like, I love the, I love the idea that you're playing. I like the idea of a controllable um state of mental health, ostensibly, yeah. and the idea of putting someone's, like, you know, focus like, ignoring the bad feelings, ignoring the illogical stuff, and putting yourself back together, knowing what you have control of. Um, you know, like as someone who knows someone who went through a lot of mental health struggles, um, or multiple people, there's a lot of that that is extremely important, and I think that actually might end up helping someone in general. Um, which is obviously like a transcendent quality of that sequence, but it's yeah. it's phenomenally done.
0: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Before we go any further, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Masterclass. I'll see you all soon.
2: Um, and so I love all that stuff. But like you said, pacing-wise, it's like the story wraps. You've had the, th- yeah. the third act finale is done, and then we're in the epilogue, we're in the end game bit, um, which is fine, but, like, that very last bit, I wonder, development-wise, if that was what they tagged on when they knew they were going to do Control-2 and Alan Wake 3. Right. Um, because it is the stuff that directly leads into the next game. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get the, the tease of, you know, it's not a loop, it's a spiral and whatever. But... Um, All that stuff, um, everything feels purposeful. I love that the game exists overall. I love that it feels like Remedy didn't hold anything back. I think Mm -hmm. it's like a shining star, especially this year, um, with many months of constant layoffs and all the live service conversations that are happening. And no one seems to know what the hell they're doing (laughs) at the upper echelon of gaming. I love Remedy building their own engine, um, for the future, and just nailing, like, executing on a vision. Like, it's rare that you see it, and the fact that it's now nominated for everything is awesome. Um, let's talk about Mr. Daw and some of the oh. wider um, fa- uh, fiction <laughs> stuff, all the wider uh, lore stuff, because you say you didn't play Quantum Break, mm-hmm. but um, one thing that's blowing the minds of the Remedy fandom at the minute is that Mr. Daw, uh, his name is Door. That's pretty much a mirror for Martin Hatch, uh, Martin Hatch was Lance Reddick's character in Quantum right, Break, right? Um, and so uh, another thing to bring in is uh, Dylan in Control talks about meeting Mister Door, and um, which I forgot that he mentioned that, right? But um, the clip's doing the rounds online and stuff. But there's a there's a sequence where you play as Jesse, you play, uh, talk to Dylan, and he talks about when he was under when he was in like the dark place or the Hiss or whatever you know controls version of the other place, the astral plane. And mm. um, he met a person called Mister Door who told him there were infinite realities and infinite um, you know uh, multiverses or whatever all on top of each other, ah, all next to each other. I love that. Um, And Dylan says that Mr. Doar told him that in one reality there was a cop in the other reality there was a writer who wrote the cop um, but in the first one the cop was real Mm. and I was like well that kind of works as their explainer for Max Payne and Casey Um, and so like that's kind of a way of bringing that together but Mr. Doar which is such a stupid name seems like (laughs) um, he's the ultimate arbiter of everything and I wonder a few years ago in 2019 if they were planning on using Lance Reddick as the ultimate dude and obviously sadly like uh, Reddick's passed away Um, but like in theory they're now going to be giving it to uh, David Haywood Um, which is cool. I love all the sequences with him. Yeah. I thought there'd be more of him in the game anyway. Yeah, same. Like, and I have to say, like uh, Jason Strider, like actually confirmed on
1: like his podcast mm. that that character was supposed to be Lance Reddick. So like right, he, he okay. contacted a contact that he has in Remedy, uh-huh. and he got back to him and said, "Yes, I can confirm that was supposed to be Lance." Oh, Reddick, sweet. Okay, that does bring it together. And, and don't get me wrong, like you know, Mr. Daw was incredibly well performed, obviously mm. in the character. Mm-hmm. Um, I really did think I wanted to get more of him. I really, really did. Like, I really liked. The sequence, like the talk show, like mm. when they first came out, it kind of reminded me a little bit of like that scene from Joker when Joker's like on the talk show. Yeah, like same so framing. Me, yeah. yeah, it gave me very much those vibes of like you know bringing somebody on to almost make a joke out of them, really. Yeah. And it was very, very similar in that time of framing context. Mm-hmm. But I I love that it almost kind of plays into your worst fears of like you know when you have nightmares and when you go on stage and it's like you don't know your lines, but go out there. Right. It's like <laughs> it, it, kind of, it kind of felt like that with Alan, where mm-hmm. like you know when he's first in there, and he's behind the curtain. It's like here's Alan wait, go out, and it's like let's talk about this book that you haven't written. And he's like, wait, what? I haven't written that. Yeah. And I love that. It's kind of, as you said, the arbiter, it's him kind of saying, well, you know, of course you have Alan. You're going like, to need to do this here, to get yeah. out. Yeah. Are, are you playing this character right now? Are you still in your writing mode? Mm-hmm. Are you playing these characters and almost kind of belittling him in a way? Mm-hmm. And obviously he's absolutely in the dance sequence as well, which like honestly <laughs> has my heart, body and soul that whole dance Oh routine. yeah, They, they finally put
2: the songs on Spotify now yes. as
1: well. <laughs> and I have to say as well, like the music in this is phenomenal. Like yeah. the song Wide
2: Awake is like on my playlist. I adore that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but we th- should touch on that super quick. Mm-hmm. Is um, just the amount of different mediums they've rolled together. Oh, like yeah. they've filmed so many custom. There's a whole custom movie in here. There's Thomas Zane's movie. Fifteen minutes of it. Yeah. Yeah, and like there's like the TV shows that all the songs are custom made for the game. Um, like they've talked over the years. Sam Lake's talked quite a lot about wanting to explore different mediums and yeah. bring it all together for a game. This is including all that their most complete work. Like mm-hmm. every single bit of this is custom. Like and it, it, that's an incredible feat as well. Yeah. Honestly, like
1: Sam Lake for me, it kind of reminds me of Kojima in a way that. You know, Mm. he sees like a wider kind of context of like everything that's available to him in terms of like music, which Kojima's massive on within his games, and then like the acting as well. I mean, let's talk about those like (laughs) cutscenes, you know, in Metal Gear Solid 4, hello, but like, and we get like a little bit of that in this game as well. Because obviously, you can tell, like, as you say, we've got Night Springs, we've got this acted show, we've got the film that runs for 15 minutes, we've then got this TV show which is coming out as well, which would be interesting to see how much of that we get with Mm -hmm. like Sam Lake's involvement there as well. Mm -hmm. But I just think. For me, Sam Lek and people like Kojima, like, you know, People can love it, people can hate it, but I just think it's genius how like, yes. to take your idea and really kind of incorporate different mediums into it in terms of how can this music fit into what I'm trying to say? Mm-hmm. How can like this little film like expand on this part of the story that I really want to tell without making players necessarily have to play that? It's kind of there if you want to dive into it. Mm-hmm. And obviously, like Alan Wake's writing a novel. He's got several novels, so it kind of makes sense in terms of building out a big narrative as well and incorporating that into the world. Every time a chapter ends and a music, like a song, plays it's referential to what you've just played and mm-hmm. also hinting towards what's coming next and mm-hmm. to do something like that, for me it, that's, I know people like laugh and scoff when they say, oh, video games are art, blah 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 blah. <laughs> but for me, this is genuine art this has taken the artistry of not just what Sam Lake's done and what the creators have done, but other artists as well, yeah. bringing them into the world that he's created, and it, it makes sense and it's beautiful. Yeah,
2: I've always been a big proponent of the game, like, I remember back when uh, Roger Ebert first said that, it was mm-hmm. like, video games can never be art because exactly. the experience is authored by the player and it was like, yeah, within confines designed by the creators, by the art departments, by the coders, etc. It was always art, um, but yeah, like I, I wrote a whole dissertation on that thing back in the day.
1: <laughs> Just read it now. It's Like, hey, if you want
2: ten thousand words, but um, no, I always loved that, and it's yeah, it's one of those things where like ten years ago, um, or, you know, you advance ten years later and look at what we're making now, and yeah. like this, like I said before, is like one of the bastions of what the industry can be, um, and especially compared to you know the likes of like Redfall or the, like the latest Call of Duty or whatever. Like, there's there's such a girth of pure raw quality in what is inside Alan Wake too, and like yeah, like for me, there are some edges with the combat, but there's so much that they absolutely nail and just like, and set a new bar for, um, in terms of, like you said, performance capture or the realization of the concept and everything else. Um, what do you think of all the, the remedy shared universe stuff? I keep forgetting what they refer to it as. I think it's the remedy connected universe. I think so. Yeah. But, um, like the, uh, the RCU or whatever hell it's <laughs> going to be like they seem to be having this thing going forward and we got it in control where they, um, United, um, Jesse with, uh, Alan, but going forward, it seems like, it, you know, Sam Lake has said he's very excited about it. There was an yep. interview with the BAFTAs where he said, this is what we're doing going forward. Mm-hmm. And they're working on Control 2. They recently did a, um, a financial statement thing where they confirm Control 2. Um, and so it seems like going forward, that's the thing that they're doing. Lots of overlappy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, pardon the point With um, character <laughs> overlaps. Do you want that or do you want more isolated stories? What do you think? I absolutely love it and I'm all in.
1: <laughs> like I... Uh, door. It's so, like, I love that in the sense that all of these games, in a way, because there's an, there's an element of weirdness to, like, Remedy, mm. right? Like, And yes. I don't say that in a negative way. I love it, like, because it's
2: so... They video games David Lynch now. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Very much that vibe. It's so different from, like, the kind of, the ma- like, the mainstream of what we're getting right now. And, like, you know, just to... I mean, I'll briefly come back to that, but, like, I love the fact that Sam Lake and the team got to make this game, and that mm. really outpours when you see, like, when, he, when he's tweeting saying, oh, my God, thank you so much for everyone who's played the game, and the reviews, like, reflect that. We're getting... The reason that Alan Wake exists is obviously there's been so much outcry for it for so, 13 years, for God's sake. Mm-hmm. But as well, like, the fact that it exists and the way that it does, they will allow to just go off and just make their own thing for me. Genuinely, like, hats off to them as mm-hmm. well as a company to be, to be able to do that. Genuinely, like, my heart goes out to them. I'm over the moon for them. Mm-hmm. But the connected universe, I adore. And I know, like, you know, we're in this world now of, like, media where we get, like, the MCU, where everything's connected, blah, 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 blah. But what I like about this is, like, this playground that they've created for themselves and, like, when they are bringing new things in, it weaves in perfectly. Whereas, you know, you know, for stuff like the MCU, it kind of feels like we're doing this film, then we have to kind of try and loosely tie it into yeah. this thing somehow, and it always kind of feels really jarring. Mm-hmm. But because, like, Sam and obviously the team have really got the... And Sam, I'm calling by first name. Business, <laughs> Big me, Sam. me and Big Sam. Um, <laughs> they've obviously got this playground that they've really woven, really thought about, and, like, everything makes sense within that playground, right? So, like, when I was playing Control and I found that little kind of article that was talking about when like Jesse and her brother found the projector and ended up like being projected into Bright Falls and then like were there and like obviously they heard that song and then when they came back and she talked to a therapist and she was like that song doesn't exist what are you talking about and it was because it was from the world of Alan Wake Mm -hmm. it's little moments like this little seeds that are being sown which then build into bigger things Mm. so like the moment that oh my god the moment in Alan Wake too, when like (laughs) you know like your Alan I mean I love that section love that section when Mm. like Alan's sitting at the table with Casey suddenly gunfire happens. And like it's very cinematic, right? Your Casey runs out, like you've obviously wake up, there's bodies everywhere, you then run after Casey, you find the double barrel shotgun for like 10 seconds, <laughs> and then you obviously you see him in the distance, you collapse, Saga runs in, he's about to get stabbed, she runs the member of, like she sorry, shoots the member of the cult of the tree, mm-hmm. and then obviously the FBC then land the helicopter and like, right, we're taking over here. Yes. Like that for me just feels like it's so earned. Yeah. Like because you've played all of control before that. And even if you haven't, like even mm. if you go in, you know kind of okay, the FBC, they're a big thing because mm. they're littered through this game so much. Mm-hmm. But I just love it. Like I love that it doesn't feel jarring. It weaves into the narrative. You play control, you get a better understanding of that. Obviously, I haven't played Quantum Break, but going you into it, <laughs> <laughs> apparently. So I hear. And then the rights issue for that is apparently a weird thing as well yes. going forward, which is why they couldn't directly kind of make full reference to that. But even that little tie-in that you said there, that's so cool. Yeah, because like if it honours, like, if you've played that game, then they're kind of winking at you to say, hey, remember this? Well, Mm -hmm. hello, like, we're referencing this, but even if you haven't, like, me, obviously I haven't missed out on that, but it's just, it works for me on such a granular level, and everything that's woven into place, it just weaves together perfectly. Mm -hmm. It's not jarring, they're not doing it for the sake of it,
2: they've really worked on this whole thing to pull it together. Mm -hmm. I'm fully in, man. I I love, like, because there's bits and pieces, like, I'm curious to see how it goes. Like, I definitely have superhero fatigue, I massively have multiverse fatigue, Yeah. yeah. um, but at the same time, like, as a of device, it depends what you do with it. Like, there's such a girth and quality or purpose between using a multiverse idea in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness when nothing they don't do anything with that <laughs> that, that idea of of it, um, versus everything everywhere all at once, which is oh. all about the idea of you know if you could talk to the other versions of yourself that took different paths, what could you then learn from that, um, and the different pitfalls that come from that, I think there is merit in a multiversal um, framing device, narrative framing device, or storytelling device, but so few people do it well, and I think because of the Disneyfication of that term yeah. it's super easy to just use multiverse as like, oh that character died, there's another one over here, it's the same person, they step back in whatever, even Mortal Kombat's done it, um, with some of the characters in there, and so it depends how they do it going forward, and how how true all that Mr. Door Wall and Door Martin Hatch stuff is, anyway. I guess Dylan's talking about it in control. Yeah. But it is interesting um, using con- using the FPC as like this universe is men in black, and they sort of just drop in, they yeah. take care of scenarios. They I love when yes. Estevez is saying, um, you know, we have all this equipment built for this stuff. I thought she was gonna give you like a laser gun, like a <laughs> like a light laser gun, and yeah, the end, you'd just be blasting taken with it, um, which you kind of are, with like some of the big spotlights. But mm. um, I love I love the idea of this like super secret secret agency that know this stuff and then then they also get it in over their head as the story kind of goes on but I think there's so much more they can do there and like you said when they literally when they drop in Mm. in that specific scene that was probably the the height of the whole other than the dance sequence the height of the game for me because I was like oh this is we're on now yeah 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 Um, and I just want to play as Alan and I want to do that stuff um, and I guess to, you know to wrap it back around to the stuff that I wanted more of it It would have been more of that I wanted more of the conversations between Agent Estevez or other FBC people and Wake I want like I want to know what they're asking him I want to know what he's talking about because by the time you get there as Saga or even it, as um, Alan's side of it it's already gone to hell anyway
1: yeah that was that was a big thing for me like when when Alan was obviously like airlifted away to like they <laughs> took him away and then you obviously played a Saga at that point I really uh, thought oh when we take back over as Alan are we going to be in the FBC headquarters mm-hmm. Like when he's that's what I thought it would be. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh my God. Like, if Jesse Faden comes in and sits down at the table and interviews
2: him, <laughs> I will literally collapse. And like Casper Darling and everything. Like, there's, yes! there's one bit when you're in the Ocean View Hotel as Alan where you see a, a TV flicker to life and yep. Casper Darling's looking through the lens. And I was like, oh, so over the last 13 years, he's also been trying to reach Wake. Yeah. Um, but they don't do much with that.
1: Mm-hmm. But then again, you know, we've got the DLC coming out as well. So who knows, like, they might lean more into that Definitely what? a tease for it. What's happening at the lake house? Like, <laughs> is, Je- is Jesse chilling there on holiday? Like, if, if it hasn't become aware yet, I really want to see <laughs> parasol and a cup of coffee you imagine that's just like oh hey what are you guys doing here like a (laughs) little umbrella behind her ear i would take um, them. oh i would absolutely be fully in but yeah like (laughs) yeah that was that for me was one of the absolute high points of the game god i love that the whole build up to it as well like Mm. when you kind of play as alan plays you and i will admit like you know the last kind of the latter part of the game as well like i did like that briefly we did get to go into each other's worlds like i really Mm. did like that when you saw saga like in the new york section obviously alan as well there in like the kind of running through the bright Falls section at the end as mm-hmm. well. Like, I really did actually appreciate that, but... Didn't lead to much. No. It, but obviously you know we get the ending of like, I mean that ending where you know as we said Saga's on the phone and then Alan's shot in the head and then suddenly sits back <laughs> up which is a nice kind of reference point because we do see like the the glowing kind of hole in his head and we get the explanation as to
2: why. That and is the opening shot. Yeah. Literally is. Which like, I forgot because I've restarted it and I'm going through Control again now as well. Oh nice. Which is weird because Control totally works as a sequel to this. Like yes. if you come out of it going like I just want to know more FPC stuff or I want to mm. be in that aura again. Yeah. Um, Control totally works but yeah the opening shot is of him being shot. It's
1: that and I, I do love how directly like, and obviously we have the, you know, altered world events, Alan Wake expansion, let's be real, (laughs) that's what it meant the whole time. Uh But I love that with the control DLC. I know that you haven't played it, and obviously when you do go around playing it this time, um, I think I already told you about the character from Alan Wake 1 that's in that? If you've forgotten, that's fine. I might have forgotten. I won't say anything more. (laughs) But um, even just like the moments of when in control, obviously, I mean, the gameplay in control for me is probably the best that Remedy's done since Max Payne. Like It's 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 so tight.
2: Yeah, it's funny going back to it after playing Alan Wake 2, because Alan Wake 2 is so kind of led in, like intentionally, and it's more like a Resident Evil 2. Mm -hmm. And then when you go back to control, it's so much more like twitchier and responsive, which is good. It lets you like on, on the fly grab bits of cement and throw them at people, but it is waste now than Alan Wake 2. When you
1: play that DLC as well, obviously, because the darkness comes in like pretty much immediately. Mm. When you're picking off li- literally lights with Jesse and shining it on the darkness to burn it away, it's like taking everything that you love like about Alan Wake, but mm. just doing it in a controlled way. Mm-hmm. And especially as that game goes on, man, the way they introduce light and darkness in that like, in that DLC, and then the way the DLC ends directly references Alan Wake 2 in such right. a cool way. Yeah. So yeah, to go back and play Control, probably give you like a full like a better understanding of the FBC as well, like going into Alan Wake 2 and what their deal is
2: and, God, where Jesse is? I kind of I love that they're both companion pieces. Like yeah. it's like it, like I said, there's an overall feeling of authorship and confidence from Remedy that they've never I was just they have never had before. They have, but it wasn't on this scale. Like when they were doing Max Payne and then Max Payne Two, and um, that was all they were kind of known for. And yeah. they always had so much character in those games. I'm, oh, yeah. again, I'm I'm, re, I'm replaying Max Payne Two at the minute as well. <laughs> I have been in such a Remedy hole for the last like um, <laughs> since Alan Way Two came out. I was like, I just need as much Remedy stuff as possible. Yeah. Um. But yeah, they're on the form of their lives at the minute, and it's mm-hmm. great seeing them execute on all these different things. Um. Let's talk about what. What's next? And um, because they now they do leave it on a cliffhanger. You get that it's not a loop; it's a spiral. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the sort of weird, like, final twist with Alice, where like she faked her own death yes. to make everything. I was a bit lost with what wrinkle that was supposed to give me on the mm-hmm. previous events because the whole time that Alan's in the dark place writing these various stories to get out, um, he thinks that Alice is still down there with him. Mm-hmm. And um, and he's, you know, the graffiti says that around the environment, like like save Alice and Alice yeah. is trapped and whatever. And then she reveals that actually, you know, she faked her own death and she's got the leather jacket on at the end and she's going to go back into the dark place to get him out. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think of all the Alice stuff? I was kind of lost on what that was supposed to mean, where like how it was... If, he, if any part of him can see into the real world, which we kind of think he can because he used the real Alex Casey, mm-hmm. then surely he would have known that she was there. Mm-hmm. Like I'm getting, like I said, in my brain when I try and figure it out, I'm like, is he just a big floating CCTV camera sometimes? Because <laughs> um, in Control, they talk about any para-utilitarian will develop clairvoyance. So like, mm-hmm. assumedly, that's what he has. That's how he's yeah. able to write these stories and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was like, wouldn't you know that she was alive over 13 years? When in 13 years time did she kill herself? Um, or talk about fake kill herself. Um, that was like a whole thing where I was like, I can't factor this twist into everything else that I know Yeah, so far. Um, and then what that means going forward, other than the idea of she's going to try and save him going forward. Yeah. Like for me, I wasn't
1: a big fan of it. So like initially right. when you get told, like, you know, obviously you find out like, oh, she's killed herself. And I was like, Alan sacrifices himself in the first game for her to then end her life. Yeah. Like I would just, it took away so much from that. And obviously we get the fake out when, you know, that wasn't real. It was just, you know. Making sure that Alan knew that, or See Mr. that Scratch knew that, so that she could go back in and save Alan. Yeah, it's like who was that for? I took
2: just super quick. I took the her killing herself when we thought that's what she had done as a direct response to how much Scratch was torturing her, yeah. and she was tortured by the memory of the dude that she used to be in love with, mm-hmm. um, because he apparently would come to the house every night or yeah. whatever. Um, so I think like that's what I took that to be. But mm-hmm. then, like I said, you, she fakes it anyway, so yeah. it's like whatever. And
1: I don't know. There's a few things like if you know if Alan is still under the impression that he's trying to save Alice, then when you've got two FBI agents that are there immediately, are you not? asking them is the first thing straight away, can you go and check on my wife and see how she's doing? Like, what's going on there? Because uh-huh. if, th- if there's any two people you're going to ask to do that, it's going to be two FBI agents that are right there in front of you. Mm-hmm. I get, obviously, his mind's jumbled and the fact that, you know, he's part in the dark place. Obviously, Scratch is taken over his body as well, mm-hmm. um, which is so cool, by the way. I love when that first happens and you're like, oh, my God. When he gets the leather jacket on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, <laughs> you know... S is getting real. It is, um, and I I love that section when you first take him on with Saga, and you're like, "Whoa, okay, yeah." But um, in like the prison, that was really really cool. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, like I don't think they made enough of it. So like, I think if it is going to be something that really. I'll, if we explore this in some of the DLC which I'm guessing we will do because obviously mm-hmm. if Alan, uh, sorry, Alice is going back in to save Alan mm-hmm. that's quite a big thing I you think know, that's their
2: um, Alan Wake 3 plan personally yeah, 100%
1: but. I know that she was always kind of there as the character in the first Alan Wake and like she was there and then obviously disappeared into the lake and you had mm-hmm. to save her and she was like kind of the main reason why Alan was going through a lot of this was to get her back mm-hmm. um But yeah, I think they could have made a lot more of that if I'm honest. Mm -hmm. Um, Like going through the kind of the apartment and seeing the videos and everything, I was a bit like, okay, what are we doing here? Like, that's
2: yeah, it's a weird that whole. That's one of those things that I, I guess, I would class as like a mild negative or whatever. Is like some of the level design stuff or the the pacing stuff, where it's like, okay, like as Alan, it's like go to Parliament Tower, okay, go to Ocean View Hotel. No, actually, you go back to Parliament Tower again, Mm -hmm. and then you leave and do another thing. Then it's okay, and you go back to Parliament Tower again because that's where Scratch is going to be. And it was just like this is kind of just going on, and like that. paired with like some of the ways that they gate you from getting forward where it's like, go find the key. Oh, actually the, the power's out, go get a fuse. <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah, you can say it's Survival Horror 101, but it's 90 Survival Horror 101. And we've mm-hmm. kind of got past that. Um, You know, like Resident Evil 2, the new one, doesn't rely on that anywhere near yeah. as much as it used to. Yeah. And so like little things like that where I was like, this is meandering to a, a fault almost, but mm-hmm. they, they pull it back before it gets like truly tedious. Yeah. But there are little things like that where it's like you're trying to set up this other game. That's why I mentioned the development reality of it before, because I was like, when did they know what they were going to do next? Mm-hmm. Um, and Sam Lake has said that um, Alan Wick is his favorite character. So it's yeah. like, I mean, he clearly resembles him and everything. Yeah. yeah. Like in terms of the, the creator and how we're making a whole world and everything. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, for me, it was an interesting thing to leave off on. I wonder if we'll get like an Alice chapter as part of the Night Springs DLC. I either.
1: really hope so, because we are focusing on many. Different characters in mm. that as well, aren't we? So it'll be interesting, like, how much time we spend with whichever characters we play as. Like, mm-hmm. it'll be really interesting to see where we lean in there. Will we play as, like, Thor and Odin as well? Like, will we play yeah. as, like, interesting, like, if Rose has a random chapter, like, that would be really interesting as her, like, this fangirl who believes Alan is talking to her, which really <laughs> scratched the whole time. Uh-huh. It'll be really interesting to see where we lean in there. And then again, how that ties into, like, the lake house as well, where we go with that. Like, mm-hmm. will we see Alice in that darkness as well? I'll like, tell you what, as
2: well, is like, we, we mentioned, I don't know, 20 hours ago when we started this podcast about <laughs> um, the idea of like playing this one first and I've had like a few people tweet me and be like oh should I can I start Alan Wake 2 should I just jump in yeah. and I don't think so I, I was so lost and I have played these games that like I would say you should have pretty good knowledge of Alan Wake 1 and the DLC and Control to stand a chance of figuring this stuff out Agreed. if you want to I think like there's like I said some people love um the like the, the feeling of being kind of confused by stimuli like what Lynch, mm. what Lynch gives you and it's like yeah. that's fine that's not how I'm wired I want to be able to ground it and make sense of it or at least establish a context Um, And so, like, the amount of things they throw at you here um, towards the end just started throwing me off, mostly the Alice stuff, um, and, like, things towards the end game. But, yeah, that idea of, like, they pull so much from, like... like, The Scratch stuff, to me, only makes sense if you played Alan Wake's American Nightmare or you looked up the the recap for it. And that's the main antagonist, for the most part. Um, And it's a bit... Like, if someone was brand new and all you had to go off was Alan Wake 2's descriptions of Scratch, I don't even think you would get what the hell it is. No. Or he is. No. Um, So I think I kind of think that... It's weird because that makes it a perfect sequel. It's a fundamentally a sequel. You need the original one to to go there. Mm-hmm. And I do like when uh, works of art do that, yeah, uh, or games do that. Um, but what do you think of that stuff? Like, I guess the the way that Scratch is kind of handled in terms of like an antagonist or whatever. You know what? I. I I like that he came in when he came in Mm. and he wasn't, like, there from
1: day dot. Like, I love that they built up to that. So, of course, like, you know, if you have played Alan Wake's American Nightmare, you kind of know that he's going to make an appearance, Mm. right? And they kind of... I guess there'll be, like, little references littered through the game as well until, obviously, you get his big reveal as well. But I loved it. Because I love like, you know, straight away like you've got these guys in prison, right? Like mm-hmm. who are telling you look like, the reason why we want to kill Alan is because of this guy. And you're like, whoa, like what are you talking about? Yes. And then just that switch in the prison cell, and obviously just obliterates one of the guys <laughs> immediately, mm-hmm. breaks out, and then like, you know, you're thrown literally out of the back door, and then you, this boss battle fights. Mm-hmm. And like it's this whole time, it's like Tearing down expectations, right? Of, like, you're there to save Alan. Like, you're finding out where this man has gone. Mm. And then for this man to suddenly have a pipe in his hand, a leather jacket, looking pretty smoking hot. And then... <laughs> so oh, I love the, evil Alan's look. Oh it's, my great. God. it's like the tilted head down, just staring yeah. at you. like And, like, the hair billowing and everything. It's just... Incredible! Like, I really loved how they handled him. Mm. Really, really enjoyed the boss fights with him. I love that we get it again. Obviously, the big fight on the beach as well. Mm-hmm. And because you've already had that fight, you kind of know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You're like, right, re- you know, retreading similar territory here. The only difference is, again, turning those lights at the <laughs> speed of like, <laughs> you know, nothing uh-huh. and then getting him in the cage but I really really liked it I thought okay. it was really really well handled
2: yeah for me it was I wanted just a bit more on what he was yes. like I, I never played American Nightmare so it was just one of those okay. things where I ended up the, loads of stuff at the beginning of Alan Wake 2 I was like I need to refresh my mind on what because I played Alan Wake 1 in control yeah. and like read quite a lot of the things that you could find around the environment in control but I was still like I felt like it was playing in a certain with a certain level of assumed knowledge that I clearly just didn't have on tap so I was like yeah. I need to go watch some recaps and stuff mm-hmm. and then it was like after doing American Nightmare nightmare and watching all of Alan Wake 1 and control stuff and then all the stuff with Thomas Zane um, all of that stuff was like I yeah. feel like that's fundamental to even like to get Alan Wake 2 at least yeah. in a satisfying way for me um, where like you know you have characters referring to Alan in the, in this one as Tom mm-hmm. uh, Artie keeps calling him Tom and it's like if you know enough about the lore that's because of Thomas Zane from yeah. like decades ago and whatever mm-hmm. but I think it's super easy to just be like what like who's that what's going on it's kind of like what I said earlier on
1: where like you can get as much or as little out of this game as you want mm-hmm. and like none of it feels like i kind of like mentioned the mcu like earlier but mm-hmm. it's like similar where like you know you might go to see a new film and it's like oh if you haven't watched the tv show then you don't know about this character but it's not like that for me because like that's just like a character moment with which kind of is a bit jarring right whereas when this it's like more context based so like you'll understand more of the context and more like thematically of what this character actually means if Mm -hmm. you go back and play it. Plus, we're talking about solid gameplay experiences. Like we're not telling you to go back and watch a terrible show to get to know a character. (laughs) It's like, go back and play this awesome game Mm -hmm. to further understand the mean, like how much this character means. But again, like someone like Scratch, you know, like if you go into Alan Wake 2, you haven't played a single other Remedy game He's a pretty cool boss. He's you know, he's cool. Like yeah. Yeah,
2: he's, he looks awesome, and the fights yeah. look really cool. I mean, that's the thing I I like, and I guess that'll be something that just you know each person can decide what, how much they agree with it. Is like, do you want your sequels to be a fundamental continuation of what went before, or do you mm. want them to be an, an an onboarding point? Yeah, and it's like in gaming, there's been so many examples where um, that was handled wrongly. Like I remember yes. EA saying that Mass Effect three was the perfect place to start, and it was like, <laughs> no, it isn't. It's number three, um, and I never like I'm not someone who'll watch number two of a series if I haven't seen one. Yeah, and um, to me. That's my at least my view on what a sequel is literally in mm-hmm. terms of like what it what purpose it serves. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's one of those things where in this regard, like it is a fundamental continuation of at least Alan Wake One, mm-hmm. um, comprising the DLC. Like it's not that American Nightmare stuff isn't optional. Yeah. But I like that from Remedy's point of view of saying, like, no, all of this stuff matters. Like yeah. we're only doubling down on the fact that we did all this for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, because it took them so long to get the rights back for Alan Wake anyway, like mm-hmm. eight years or nine years. Yeah, Jesus. Um so it's like it is, I think. I, I overall as we like wind down for now we can always talk about it later um, <laughs> I do think Alan Wake 2 is like maybe the single greatest achievement of the year right next to Baldur's Gate 3 um, just in terms of what it means for the studio um, and just how far they've come like going back through Max Payne 2 and finding the cleaner who's singing Late Goodbye by Poets of the Fall yes. um, which is the thing that made them one of my favourite bands and then jumping 20 years forward and being like okay now they're doing this big song and dance number and they actually play like pretty much main characters in the lore yeah. um, but Poets of the Fall themselves are also in the game yeah. um, which is crazy they're on the radio you can listen to poet yeah. songs as well as Old Gods of Asgard songs Um all of that combined with the musical stuff, the movie stuff, and everything else—it's a hell of a achievement. Like it's just, you were saying before about it, you're just so happy for them, insane. Yeah. Like I think you mentioned Kojima before. Sam Lake is the guy. Yeah. Like Kojima was the guy for a while, <laughs> um, but I think it's it's Sam Lake and it's remedy overall. Like no one is executing on a vision anywhere close to what they've pulled off with this.
1: It's such a labor of love, and I mm. think honestly, I think it's so respectful as well to the fan base in terms yeah. of like you know obviously they fought to get the rights back to Alan Wake because you know remember like it was in the news like a couple of years back when they were like, oh, we had this artwork, we had these ideas for Alan Wake 2, we couldn't pull them off, because now we're in this, obviously, legal battle where we can't get the rights back. And mm. then when they got them back, it's so respectful and so wonderful what they've done. Like, it's really, honestly, like, walking back into Bright Falls for the first time, like, honestly, I was giddy. Yeah. Like, just as a fan of, like, everything that Sam like, like puts his hands to, honestly, it felt so respectful of, like, just this HD uplift, it looked beautiful. I mean, mm. the, there's parts of this game which look unbelievably stunning. Like the light work, like everything, it looks beautiful. Mm -hmm. But as well, like, you know, obviously for me, and you tweeted about this and I said something similar where Baldur's Gate for me is the obvious choice of game of the year. Obvious. I mean, the things that Baldur's Gate does is just phenomenal. Like Mm -hmm. for me, and what that game means to the industry genuinely is amazing and it deserves it rightfully so. Mm -hmm. But my heart goes with Alan Wake. <laughs> On the basis of some of the best moments I've ever had mm-hmm. in video games, like going back all the way through the years, is in Alan Wake 2. I've never felt in such a long time a game draw me in. Mm. And I know when I'm enjoying the game so much because literally, you know, there's been a few games, there's been a lot of good games come out this <laughs> year, and i kind of flitted between them. Right. Some of them I've got to go back to. Mm-hmm. But this game, from start to finish, I was like, I cannot wait to get back into this world. Because yeah. it just absorbed me in, like in the way that Alan's absorbed in, like the way Saga gets absorbed in. <laughs> but it's honestly it's beautifully done, Mm. so well handled by a company who clearly respect gamers in the way that they are designing games that they know that you will get enjoyment out of this if you love their work.
2: Yeah, but also not um, curtailing to that or pandering to it or whatever. They're they're not going, okay, what should we do next, guys? Mm. You know, it's not it's the polar opposite of a Suicide Squad situation. (laughs) It is very much, you know, it's still like a remedy side. It's authored, it's intentional, it's confident, it's passionate. Like, it's everything that people want to see from the gaming industry. Um, And I think so far that has been reflected in the sales, and I'm so glad it's reflected in the the awards nominations so mm-hmm. far. Um, but we'll see how the video game awards shake out in December. Um, but yeah, for now, this has been the What Culture Gaming Podcast. I've been your host, Scott Tilford, joined by Adam Strawn. Goodbye, everyone. And we'll end the podcast.
0: Bye. Small details are
2: big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall.